If you have your Bibles, you'll turn with me to the Gospel of John as we bring to conclusion a sermon series that we started seven weeks ago of the I Am in John's Gospel. The I Am, it's Jesus in his own words. And so uh, it's been amazing uh, being reminded of who Jesus is and letting his voice tell us that I am and all of the thunderous things that he says after that reality. It was back in 1989 that my six-month pregnant wife, uh, expecting our first child, that Katie and I relocated back to the central Florida area. Um, it was coming home for her of a, a woman who was born and raised in the Winter Park area. It was coming to a new home for me, uh, an upstate New York boy who, uh, yeah, did four years of college at, at, over in Lakeland at Florida Southern. And then we spent a couple of years for me to work in New York City before the ministry, and Katie taught in a Christian school in New Jersey, and it seems like another lifetime ago that we were up there in the Big Apple and really enjoyed that time. But now, you know how changes in life, now that you're going to be parents, and now you're going to raise a family, where are you going to go? And we decided to come back here to Central Florida. I'm so grateful. And shortly thereafter, we bought our first home. Uh, for those of you who are homeowners, you know the joy of buying your first home. It was in the Domerick area, uh, and in that, in that home, it had one of the things that I was so excited about in the backyard was an orange tree. And I'm telling you, as somebody who doesn't grow up in Florida knows that you have this dream that you're going to have an orange tree, and you got this dream that every morning, what are you going to do? You're going to walk out, you're going to pick a couple of nice oranges, you're going to have really good orange juice, it's going to be great, you never have to go to the store. Oranges given to you every day for free because there's a tree in your backyard. Does anybody know that orange trees don't naturally just have good, tasty fruit to them? Apparently you have to prune them. You apparently have to fertilize them. Apparently these things take tender, loving care, which I didn't know about. So when it produced fruit, it was gross. It was it was disgusting. I mean, it was sour. It was not good tasting. And it seemed like the only things that enjoyed eating the oranges from my orange tree were rats. <laughs> they seemed to appreciate it, but uh, I kind of got sick of it. You know what I do with that orange tree? Chop that bad boy down. I got that thing out of there. Put in a basketball hoop instead, you know. So it was like, you know, it's not going to produce fruit. If it's not going to help me, if it's just going to be something that the rats eat, maybe it's a good thing I get it out of here, in which I did. And by the way, it has nothing to do with my sermon, but I also pulled out a few palm trees that apparently were expensive that my neighbor said, what are you doing hacking those trees down? I said, I don't like them. So if you ever want to come to my house, pick whatever you want. It's all good. So, But it's interesting because... Uh, we're going to find out this morning that Jesus is going to say that I am the true vine, that we are the branches, and that we are to bear fruit. And he's going to tell us those who don't bear fruit or those who bear bad fruit, they're going to be like that orange tree. They're going to be cut down. Uh, they're going to be uh, burned away. Uh, but those who do bear fruit, he's going to actually uh, prune us so that we bear more fruit. Jesus says, I'm the true vine. He's going to tell us that his father, God the Father, is this vine dresser. He's, a, he's the gardener. He's the pruner. Uh, he says, for those of us who are in Christ, for those of us who have a saving relationship with Jesus by God's grace through faith, 
that we are actually the branches, that our purpose and our goal is to bear fruit, uh, much fruit, lasting fruit. And if we don't, we're going to be cut down. So again, as we conclude week seven uh, in the final sermon series of Jesus' I Am in the Gospel of John, uh, we've learned a lot. Uh, as we let Jesus himself tell us who he is in his own words, like, I am the bread of life, I am the good shepherd, I'm the resurrection and the life, now I am the true vine. And each one of them, as you look at it, it's so beautiful, you start to unpack it, you start to unravel it, and you realize that each one of them tell us the good news of the gospel. Each one of us tell us not only who Jesus is, but what he has done for us. There's such power in these words. But it does more than just that. It actually will, will give us a glimpse into the entire story of the Bible. And we're going to see that this morning, that as he says, I am the true vine, we're going to realize that there's, there's, a, there's a resonation with this. There, there's a, a redounding. It's like a, it goes all into Scripture, that this is, he's talking about all of God's story. So we're going to look at the words, I am the true vine. It's found in John chapter 15. Let me give you a little context before we jump in. Remember, this is the upper room discourse. Um, the gospel of John, the first 12 chapters include all of his life. But once chapter 13 through 21, it's the last week of his life. It's like all things have slowed down. And he's in that upper room right now. And he's, he's talking to his disciples. This is like the ultimate... Uh, speech before the cross. These are the famous last words that he gives to his disciples and us, and these are incredible words. And it's in these words that we see this, I am, abide in me, he's going to say. It's interesting because this is the only I am a little bit different. Most I am's, like I am the resurrection and life, he'll say, believe in me. Do you believe this? Important. Some of the I am's, he's going to say, come to me. But this one is a little different. He's going to say, abide in me, remain in me. And we're going to find out why, what is he talking about and, and why does this one, a little different, instead of come and believe, it's they already have came. They already do believe. Now it's this abide. And we're going to realize as we abide in Christ, it's incredible power for that. We can do all things in Christ. And we're going to realize that we can do nothing apart from him. Again, let me give you the big picture as we jump into this. The big picture is this, is that Israel, the nation of Israel, were God's people, and they were called, this is very interesting, God's people were called God's son. And we're going to see that, that there's a special connection between what the Old Testament says is God's son and Jesus saying, I am the son. And we also are going to see in the Old Testament, God's people, they're called the vine. The divine. And this is where he picks it up and says, listen, I am the true vine. What he's saying here is, I'm the true son. I'm the true vine, I'm the true way, I'm the true life, I'm the true uh, resurrection, I'm the true, true truth. All things are going to point to him. So we're going to look at three things this morning. I'm the true vine in whom we must abide so that we may bear fruit. We're going to read the Gospel of John, uh, John 15. I'm going to read verses 1 through 17 this morning. This is God's holy inerrant word. The words will be displayed for you there on, on the screen so please follow along with me as we hear this incredible story. Remember where we are. We're in the upper room, this upper discourse. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, talks to us. He says, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. 
And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean, and that this word clean is kind of a pruning, because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into fire and burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. My, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we thank you for your Son, the true vine. We thank you for our incredible union and connection with him that we could be called the branches. And God, you have joined us to, to Christ so that we would bear fruit for the glory of our great God, for the good of our neighbor. And so God, we need to have the Holy Spirit come and do that which only the Holy Spirit can do, that you would speak through a broken sinner like me, that, God, that you would give us the ears to hear your voice through this sermon. That, God, you would give us the mind to embrace your truth and your word in this sermon. That you would give us the hearts that would embrace your love. That, God, that you would give us feet that would walk in a manner worthy of your name. That, God, that you would use this to help us to, to do that what you've called us to do. To bear fruit. To abide in you. God, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior, Jesus? And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. The first thing we're going to see in this incredible text is Jesus is going to say, Hey, I am the true vine. He's going to come back and say, I am the vine. I am the true vine. So what question that all of us should ask is, okay, if he is the true vine, what is the false vine? Or, or, or what is the other vine 
that he is talking about because we don't really get the context of him saying, I am the true vine. And by the way, very emphatic in the Greek. It actually says, I am the true, I am the vine. And he really wants us to know, I am that, that true vine. So when we look at what God's word says in total, we see that this is the language and the description that God has used for his people. For his people, he calls them uh, a vine. You are the vine. He specifically, he says, you are the vine that I've taken from Egypt. I've taken this vine from slavery, from a place that wasn't the promised land, from a place far uh, from where you have a relationship with me. I mean, this place of slavery. I've, I've taken you out of Egypt, and I've taken you, and I've placed you in the promised land. And you are a vine, and a vine is supposed to be fruitful. And you're supposed to be fruitful. I bless you to be a blessing. And I bless you to be a blessing to all nations. So you are this, this vine that I've had. And you read throughout Scripture, and you're going to find it in Ezekiel. You're going to find it in Isaiah. You're going to find it in Jeremiah. You're going to find it in the Psalms, where he says, Hey, Israel, you are this vine of mine. But the problem is they're so rebellious. The problem is they're such knuckleheads. They're like, they're like that, that tree of mine in the backyard. All that they were producing is bad fruit. They weren't doing what God had created them to do. He had a better design, a true vine that would produce true fruit. So, but not only was the vine called, um, Israel called the vine. It was very interesting. Israel was also called the sun. Now, in the book of Hosea, in Hosea 10, he says, Israel, you are a lux luxuriant vine that I have planted. But by the end of, uh, of Hosea 10, he says, but all you've done is produced wild grapes. You, you haven't done it. And he, he, hang on, stick with me. If you have your Bible, this is really cool. Hosea 11, this is a prophet in the Old Testament, a minor prophet. Hosea 11, 1, he says, out of Egypt, I have called my son. Okay, anybody start, start, start a little bit familiar? You know what happens in the Gospel of Matthew? In Matthew chapter 2, when Jesus is born, the King Herod wants to kill him. He's afraid of him. And so word gets out. You remember those magi, those wise men? And, he, and Herod says, hey, tell me where this, this Jesus, this Messiah is born. He's in Bethlehem. Tell me because I want to come worship him too. And he really doesn't want to. He just wants to kill him. And the wise men get word, hey, don't let Herod know. Go back another way. And word gets out to Mary and Joseph. Guess what? Herod wants to kill your son. He's afraid of him. He thinks he might be the Messiah. And so what do they do? They go another way. And word gets out. Let's just kill all the, the newborn babies in Bethlehem. Let's take out those two years of age and younger. And so what does Mary and Joseph do? They take Jesus and they put him on a donkey and they, they, they have a flight, what's called the flight to Egypt. And then the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew will say this, this is to fulfill what is said in Scripture, back to Hosea, it quotes Hosea 11, that out of Egypt I will call my son. Really cool stuff. And you know, I guarantee you those who first read Hosea didn't necessarily see the Messiah in there. But this is, so when he says, I am the true vine, here's what he's saying, so important. I am the true son. Just like when he says, I am the good shepherd, he's saying, I'm the true king. 
Now he's saying, I am the true vine. I'm the true son. I'm, I'm the true one who connects you to God. I'm the true one who will, who will give you, allow you to bear fruit. I'm the only one that you'll be ever connected to the Father. I am the true vine. That's what he means with the true vine. But it's also interesting to see the metaphor he uses with wood. He says, I am the true vine. Um, of what is a vine supposed to do? One thing a vine's supposed to do, it's supposed to bear fruit. That's what y'all said, right? I couldn't hear you, but y'all said bear fruit, right? But I, I love what Ezekiel 15 says. Ezekiel 15 will talk about a vine, and it will say this. Let me read you these words. This is a prophet, a major prophet in the Old Testament. It's going to talk about specifically what we're talking about now. He's the true vine. He's the true son. He's the true source of God's blessing. He's the true vine. He's going to say, well, let's talk about a vine. What, what, what does a vine do? A vine does one thing. A vine produces fruit. And he says this. This is, this is Ezekiel, hundreds of years before Jesus. And the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, and this is not talking about Jesus, it's talking about Ezekiel. How does the wood of the vine surpass any wood? The vine branch that is among the trees of the forest. He's saying, how does a vine surpass anything else? What's a vine good for? Is wood taken from it to make anything? Do you ever take a vine and make anything? Do people take a peg from it and hang any vessel on it? Behold, it's given for the fire. And it's nothing but fuel. And if it doesn't bear fruit, it's worthless. So what good is a vine? Isn't it interesting? He says, I'm the true vine. And by the way, I'm not just like this big piece of oak or cedar. The only point of a vine is to bear fruit. And that is what we are supposed to do. And the only good of a vine is to bear fruit. And that is what we are called to do. And I love the reality is he's saying, listen, any other wood, you can't, a vine does nothing. You can't hang anything on it. I mean, it's no good. If it doesn't bear fruit, it's worthless. But it says, not only is he the vine, we are the branches. We have this connection, this union with God. And I love the fact that he says, listen, he's the good shepherd and we're the sheep. Isn't that a beautiful metaphor? That he's the one, and it's basically saying he's the true king, and we are truly his people. But this is even more. This is even more incredible and astounding because he says, listen, I'm the true vine. I'm the true son. I'm the true one that's supposed to bear fruit. And in me, you are connected. You abide in me. And as you abide in me, you are the branches. There's this union. There's this oneness with Christ Jesus and the church, his bride and the bridegroom. That he says it's so much more than, than uh, any other connection that we literally are made one in Christ Jesus. That his life is our life. His identity is our identity. His fruit is our fruit. There is a connection that God has made mysteriously with his people through the work, through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ Jesus. That we are made one with him. He is the vine, we are the branches. We are connected. Our life now is hidden with him. So that's the kind of, when he says, I am the vine, that's a little bit of the background of what that means. But he says, I'm the vine in whom we must abide. 11 times in John 15, he uses the word abide. If you hear a word 11 times in one chapter, guess what? It's an important word. He wants you to get it. He wants you to understand it. And as I mentioned to you earlier, it's very interesting. It's the only time he doesn't say come or believe. He says abide. And why? Because what is happening in the upper room? Judas has left the scene. Judas is gone to portray Jesus. The one who truly wasn't a part, the one who didn't belong, the one who was a false branch, 
the one who's going to be cut away and burned, uh, that one is gone. And now Jesus is with his disciples. And although they're going to be fraidy cats and they're still run away and they're still going to deny, they're truly his. And, and they did come to Jesus. They did believe that he is the Lord and Messiah. And now he's saying to them, abide, remain, remain, remain. Stay with me, connect with me, abide with me. Because why? Because in me and me alone are you going to find life. I mean, it's about relationship, not religion. I, I have to have you connected to me, connected to me in my life, in my word. Walk with me, talk with me, live with me, breathe the life, the breath of, of, of life in and through me. Abide with me and our communion with Christ. Let me hit pause and say this. Jesus came not just to get you to heaven. And Jesus came not just to clean you up a little bit. Jesus came to live inside of us, in his spirit, to abide with him, to be one with him. There's this life, this beauty. He's calling us, come near, abide with me. Our union with him, why? Because it says we can do nothing apart from Christ. Verses four through five. Really, do we believe that? I think I could do plenty apart from Christ. I think I do plenty apart from Christ. I think I live my life a lot not even thinking about Jesus. And I know that you do too. So what does he mean when he says you can do nothing apart from me? He's saying that we can do nothing that brings the Father glory. He can do nothing that really advances the kingdom, that, that in and of ourselves, we don't have the power, we don't have the ability to, to do, do that which God has called us to do. The only way we could do what God has called us to do is if we abide in him, we're connected to him, that union with him. We can do nothing apart from Christ Jesus, but if we abide in his word, we start to find life. He's going to say, abide in my word. In verse 3, it's very interesting. He says, abide, my word is in you, and you are already clean. Now remember, he's talking about pruning vines. He's talking about vines that don't bear fruit are going to be thrown away. They're going to be cut off. And the vines that do bear fruit are going to be pruned and bear more. But he says, and that whole process is a cleaning process. But he looks at his disciples and says, my word is in you. And because my word is in you, you are clean. Now let's understand what that really means. If you've embraced Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've taken God's word as your word and the word of truth, that we have been declared not guilty. We've been made a part of the family. This incredible rich love of God in Christ Jesus is ours if we believe. And we believe in that word. And if we believe in that word and we're declared not guilty, we're justified. Our sin has been separated as far as the east is from the west. What incredible joy. And he doesn't count uh, any more sin against us. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. If you sit here today and you have embraced Jesus as your Lord and Savior, hear the good news. In God's eyes, we have been cleansed. Praise God for that reality in Christ Jesus. But it's more than just that word that cleanses us. In verse 7, he says, If we live according to his word, we will be fruitful. And anything we ask, we ask the Father, he will bless us with according to his word. And so abide, abide in the word of God. So let me ask you a question. Are you abiding in God's word? Have you taken the word of God at, at, as your Lord and Savior, that truth? Are you abiding in God's word today? Are you spending time in God's word um, and growing in God's word. Then he says, not only abide in my word, abide in my love. In, in verse 9, uh, in verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide 
in my love. I love that reality. He's a father has loved me. I have loved you. Abide in my love. And John 15, 12 will say this. This is my commandment, that, I, uh, that you love one another just as I have loved you. This is my commandment, that you love one another. As the Father has loved the Son, the Son has loved us. I love that reality. How has the Father loved Jesus? He loves him perfectly. He loves him eternally. It's how he loves us. He loves us enough to send Jesus for us. That incredible father-son in relationship is now ours in Christ Jesus. That intimacy. My heart has found what it has longed for. And I found it in the face of Jesus. Augustine will say it this way, and way back in the 300s, your heart will forever wander until it finds its rest in God. You see, God has put eternity in your hearts. God has not made you to find life and life abundantly in this world or anything of this world. God has made you to only find life and meaning and joy in him alone. And the only way we find that reality is through Christ Jesus. And your heart and my heart, Augustine nailed it. It was so true. We are going to forever wander until we find our rest in him, until we find him as the source of love. Abide in his love. And because of the reality of I've found love in Christ Jesus, you know what that empowers us to do? Love one another. Here's, here, listen to the gospel. You and I are loved in Christ Jesus, and we're loved perfectly. And that love will set us free. And now we're able to love one another in a way, no matter how they respond. The truth of the gospel is this, is, is that my identity is not found in the response of how others love me. My joy is not found in that. My, my health is not found in that. I like all those things. But I'm able to love you as the Father has loved me. And that's the goal that we strive for because of this gospel. Love one another. Interesting, he says, not only abide in my love, he says, abide in my commandments in verses 10 through 12. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love. Now, a lot of times people think, well, what is it, God? Are you a God of love or are you a God of justice? Are you a God that, that wants to have the rules kept? Or are you a God that doesn't care about the rules? He's a God of both love and commandments. They're not mutually exclusive. We don't find God's love by keeping God's commandments. It, God's commandments being kept doesn't lead us to God's love. Because by God's grace we've been loved in Christ Jesus, it leads us to keep the commandments. You see, that's, that's the, the way it should flow. God cares about the way we should live. Be holy as I am holy. Be perfect. Be different. Live your life in a way that brings me honor and glory. But do it out of love. Be compelled by love. Be restrained by love. And abide in my commandments. God's love and God's commandments go hand in hand. This is my commandment that you love one another as I loved you. I love that. Let me just summarize the commandments Jesus says. Love God, love your neighbor, for the glory of our great God, for the good of our neighbor. So he's the true vine, the true son. Uh, he's the connection to the Father. Uh, we are called to abide in him, abide in his word, abide in his love, abide in his commandments to remain in him. Why? So that we may bear fruit. Now here's, here's as we bring this uh, last point to a, to a conclusion, uh, so that we may bear fruit. Our primary purpose in life, the reason you were created, the reason I was created, is for the glory of God. We are here to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The, how we glorify God is to bear fruit. 
This is why he has created us. Listen to our purpose in verse 8. My Father is glorified by this. This is why we're created, to bring God glory, that you may bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give you. Our primary purpose for being created was to glorify God, bringing him honor and renown. And the only way we can do that is through Christ Jesus. Now hit pause. Do you believe it? I mean, how much of our life do we really live saying, you know what, I'm here because of God. I'm here to live for him. Who are you living for tomorrow? Who are you living for today? I mean, I'm so sinful. I've always, I always want to be in the center. I always want to be on stage. You know, I want life that's to revolve around me. And so many times I've asked God to make my life easy, to make me the king, and just have life revolve around me. Let me be the one. My primary goal is Jeff and Jeff's glory and Jeff's success and Jeff's comfort and Jeff's name. It's all about me, 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 me. And you read the gospel and you say, no, it's not even close. It's all about God and his glory that we are here for him, and we glorify him by bearing fruit. It actually says we are chosen in him to bear fruit. I love the way Paul says it in Ephesians 2, verse 10. And by the way, Ephesians 2, 8, if you don't know it, it's amazing. By grace you've been saved through faith, not by works, so that no man would boast that it's a gift of God. And it tells, okay, so here's, here's the reality. Salvation, God's grace, gift, in Christ, but it says in verse 10, but we are his workmanship, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God has called in advance that we should walk in them. So here's what he's saying. Yeah, we're saved by God's grace. We're saved by God's grace through faith. We're made alive in Christ Jesus, but he saved us to bear fruit. He saved us to be his workmanship, to do good works. And we're to love others and and love what he's done for the glory of our great God, for the good of our neighbors. That's how we bear fruit. And we can't please Christ from about it, from uh, without it. Okay, if I say anything, I want you to get it. This is it. You know what's really interesting about this passage? He says, okay, I'm the true vine, you're the branches. The branches that don't bear fruit, they're getting cut off. Not only are they getting cut off, they wither away, and they're going to get burned. Let's hit pause and say, that's scary. Because that's basically saying that there is something of a God who is holy, that there is a separation from him, from those who don't bear fruit. I can't even tell you that without giving some good news and saying, if you are in Christ Jesus, you will bear fruit. I mean, if you're truly his, he'll never cut you away. And, And he'll never take the chainsaw to you. But here's what he says. If you do bear fruit, you will be pruned. Both those who don't bear fruit and those who do get the scissors, get the, get the sharp knife. No one's excluded. The Father is going to prune or cut away. He's going to prune your life. And being pruned in your life sometimes doesn't feel good. And there's going to be things he cuts away. That you're going to say, no, no, not that. I like that. <laughs> Don't cut that. No, please. Let me hang on to that one. I love that. And there's going to be things that happen to you. You're going to say, why, Lord, why? And there'll be things that we don't understand until we get to glory. 
And there's going to be things that happen that, that are going to hurt, and they're going to hurt deeply. And he's going to, you're going to say, God, what are you doing? Are you just cutting me to pieces? Are you paying attention here? But he's pruning you. And he's pruning you not to make you more comfortable. And he's pruning you not so that you get a little easier. He's not pruning you so life is more about you. He's pruning you to bear more fruit. Because that is his goal. That we bear fruit. I want to argue with him sometimes. Can't we have a better goal? Can't the goal be what I really like? My glory, my name, my reputation. Can't the goal be my comfort? No. The goal is his glory. Much fruit. What is God cutting away in your life? And let me, don't forget, whatever he cuts away, he never does it. If you're his, he never does it in anger. And he doesn't do it in a punitive way. This is important. God can't punish you for what he's already put on his son. Okay? So you're not getting cut because he's angry or because he's punitive and he's trying to punish. That's not the truth of our God. And that's not the truth of the gospel. So what you're being pruned with is for his glory and our good to produce more fruit. And once we get it, we say, cut. Go ahead, Lord. Get it. I've had things in my life saying, seriously, Lord, this is how you've had to prune me? This is how you want me to bear more fruit? This was hard. This was painful. But may I bear fruit for your glory. That's what he does. He works in mysterious ways, but he prunes us to bear more fruit. But you know what he does? This reveals our true identity, our identity. Listen to this. Verse 8, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. This is how we glorify God. And we so prove to be his disciples. Remember I said to the kids, how do you know if an orange tree is an orange tree? It bears oranges. How do you know if a Christian is a Christian? It bears fruit. And this is what Jesus is saying to us. Hey, you know what? You're going to be pruned. You're going to bear fruit. But here's the good news. This is going to tell the world that you're mine. I mean, you're going to bear more fruit, and you're going to prove to be my disciples. In verse 15, no longer do I call you slaves. A slave doesn't know what a master is doing, but I called you friends. For all the things I have heard from my Father, I've made known to you. Our branch, as a branch, our identity is found in Christ alone. We are his sheep. He loves his sheep. We are his disciples. We have been made one with Christ. We're no longer slaves. We're his friends. But there's more. Not only friends, but we're children, sons. And not only sons, we're heirs. That's the good news of the gospel. So he's given us this, this identity in him, is found in him. And it gives us complete joy, our joy. Verse 11. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Do you know? that God doesn't want to cut off things in your life to mess with your life so you have no more joy. He doesn't want to cut away things so you've, you've lost something that you really love and think, oh, crud, life is a lot worse now. Listen, he wants to give you his joy, the joy of Christ, and he wants that joy to be complete. And I, and I tell you, I, I say this so passionately to you because I'm preaching to myself. The greatest joy we ever can find is dying to ourselves and living to Jesus. The joy that we long for is found in him and him alone. We're not going to lose something 
that, that if we follow him, we're not going to lose something that he prunes that we're going to find out, I really needed that piece over there. Our joy will be made complete. You want to have joy? You want to have joy that's full and complete, that's Jesus's? Let him prune you. Die to self and live for him. That's where we find our identity. That's where we find our life. That's where we find our joy. Joy and obedience. You can't forget that orange tree needed to come down because it was a terrible tree in my backyard. But Jesus was the one who ultimately was cut off. Jesus was cut off. Why? So that we could be grafted in. It's really beautiful. We can't be a part a branch without him at one time being cut off. Jesus took the chainsaw on the cross so that we could face the pruning shears. It's a big difference. And because of the Father's love and the Son's rescuing effort and the Holy Spirit's effectual work, he is going to prune us and work with us. And we find our purpose. It's to glorify God. We find our joy. We find our life. Our identity is hidden with him. We found Jesus, the true vine, the true son. And through that true son, we're sons and daughters too. And we found life and life abundantly. Jesus is the true vine. Abide in him. Bear much fruit. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your son Jesus, that he is the true vine. Everything that Israel failed to do, God, he has done. I thank you that he is the true good shepherd. I thank you that he is the bread of life. I thank you that he is the way, the truth, and the life. I thank you before Abraham was that he could say, I am. God, I I thank you that he is uh, our our way, our truth, our life, our, our resurrection, our hope. And God, I thank you that he's our true vine. May we here at King's Chapel abide in him. May we here at King's Chapel bear much fruit for the glory of our great God. God, don't let us fear being pruned because we know the reality of the gospel, that Jesus was cut off so that we could be grafted in. And that God, you're such a good father. You will only prune away that which needs to be pruned away. And you'll do it in love so that we could bear more fruit. Oh God, may we live for the glory of our great God. For the good of our neighbor, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.